Welcome to Aviation United by Aviation Zero. I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Capreet Pada. Dr. Capreet is the founder of Red Pill Capital. Red Pill Capital is a commercial real estate investment, development and management company with a focus on creating asymmetric returns for its investors. And today we'll be chatting about financial well-being. A very warm welcome to the show, Dr. Capreet. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much. So we have to say, what part of the world are you in? I'm in the Midwest of the United States. I'm in a city called St. Louis, Missouri, kind of the gateway to the, uh, to the West, uh, right in the middle of the U.S. Oh, wow. Okay. And what's it like there today? I mean, especially with the COVID-19, is it, has it impacted the area quite, quite significantly? Um, not as much as it's impacted the coastal areas. Uh, our population density is a little bit different. So our ICU utilization rates are significantly lower. Right. Our transmission is delayed compared to um, most of the rest of the U.S. So our penetration rate of COVID is lower. Um, but, you know, it, it's significantly impacted uh, the economy nationally, which then obviously impacts everything that happens here. Yeah, it's like a snowball effect. So generally, that's what we're pretty much talking about today is, is, is financial well-being and awareness. So welcome to the show. But can you tell the listeners a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I'm a medical physician. I uh, grew up in India um, until the age of about eight or eight or nine or so. What part of Went India? To, uh, in Punjab. I uh, was born in Amritsar. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And I grew up in Punjab, right along the uh, right along the Pakistani border. Um, so my my uh, family was moderately political, um, and I had a lot of influence from my grandfather, um, who tried to affect the outcome of education in North India. Um, it, my great grandfather had worked. Um, during the uh, during the revolution um, in India, when during the separation from England, okay. um, and so we've always had some degree of social awareness and the importance of um, holding integrity, um, and so I, I learned at a very early age. I went to boarding school very early because uh, there were always death threats when I was a little kid because I was uh, our our family was a little political back then. Um, oh, okay. And so well, it, it was interesting. Oh, it's stunning. I've been to, um, I've been to a few places. I've been to Bangalore, uh, Cochin, Chennai, uh, Trivandrum, um, pretty much mainly down south. Um, but some really, really, uh, wonderful sites and the people are very, very friendly and the food is amazing. Yeah. No, it, India is a, it, it's truly a multicultural event. I, I've been to Ireland uh, twice, I think, but only to Dublin. All right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of relatives in, um, in, in London um, and I've been to Scotland a few times. Um, and so I, I, I've traveled in your guys' uh, neck of the woods as well. Um, you know, so how I, was Dublin? Was Dublin... Did you um? Did you do a bit of sightseeing, or was the weather okay? I mean, because we're I, we don't I have the best weather. We don't. You know what? I thought it was awesome. What I loved about Dublin, my favorite thing about Dublin, is the fact that it doesn't feel like a gigantic, overwhelming city. Yeah. Uh, it still feels um, amazingly approachable. It doesn't feel like you're going to get run over by cars every three seconds. Um, it, it, it does not feel like New York. Uh, I feel New York is just, it's, 
you know, just, it's kind of overwhelming and it's confining almost because it's so big and there's so many people. Uh, Dublin is incredibly friendly. Um, and I got to see a lot of the historical sites and I got to see your guy's oldest pub and I got to go to the breweries and, and, and hang out. Apple and, bar and Guinness and everything else. And fortuitously, I drink. So for, for me, oh, this was an amazing experience. Congratulations. I think most Irish people do. I, I'm probably the only person in Ireland that doesn't drink. But mm. that's why they've tried to get rid of me. They try to kick me out of the country just because I'm not, I'm not welcome. That's it. But um, generally what we'll do is we'll, we'll, obviously today we're chatting about financial well-being and, and what is financial well-being or awareness? Because we hear these statements a lot. So what, what is it? Well, to me, financial well-being is part and parcel of your overall health. Um, if, if you don't, and they're interrelated. So if, if, if you don't have a capacity to manage your resources and to look forward to what you can do with your resources, or you don't have the capacity to manage your health and what you can do with it, neither of them, without either of them, uh, you're not going to do well. And so financial well-being is the ability to, in my mind, manage your resources so you can have the quality of life and desires and fulfillment um, that you want for yourself. Um, and I know those are obtuse statements, but a lot of people don't, they spend more time planning their vacation than they do planning their f financial well-being. They spend more time looking at magazines about the places they want to visit than they spend planning how they're going to retire or how they're going to, um, how they're going to produce income. Um, and so I think that we need a lot more education about financial well-being. Um, and I, I'm afraid that the, most of the school systems don't teach financial well-being. They don't teach kids the important aspects of money. Uh, and that's interrelated to, to the mental health and overall health of, of the individual. Yeah, it's kind of interesting you said that because we've uh, teamed up with MAPS, which is a money advice and budgeting service in Ireland, which is a state's money advice service, and the ECDM, which is European Consumer Debt Network, uh, through working with Mrs. Gwen Harris and Ms. Uh, Sani Madar. And they had mentioned previously that it would be quite a positive step if education was brought in to uh, teach kids from a young age of, uh, of how to uh, budget. So it's kind of interesting you've actually said that uh, today also. You mentioned there with regards to, to health. I mean, can having financial difficulty affect your health? Your yeah, mental absolutely. health? Absolutely. Um, you will find that individuals with significant health problems deteriorate their financial well-being, even if they were doing well. And you'll find that individuals with poor health typically don't achieve financial well-being. And the reason why, the number one cause of poor health globally, and particularly the United States, because I'm well familiar with it, um, the number one cause of health problems, because only 12.2% of the U.S. population is medically healthy, um, the number one, and that means like 87.8% is medically unfit, wow. um, and which is also explains why our COVID-19 rates um, have much more devastation and death rate than the rest of the world because our, 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 our patients uh, come into this situation much more metabolically unhealthy than the rest of the world practically. Um, 
So if, if you are medically unhealthy, uh, you typically, tip, typically will have a lot of neuroinflammation. Uh, if you get a ton of omega-6 fatty acid, which is vegetable oil, um, it creates an inflammatory state in your brain, which itself can lead to poor cognition. Um, an elevated glucose level chronically leads to early um, changes that, that are suggestive of, of patients who have early onset cognitive decline, such as things like Alzheimer's. Um, and so if you have poor health, you're likely not to be financially healthy either. And you're probably not going to become financially healthy. Um, and so that's one of the things that I really spend a lot of time is getting people to have the right mindset, have the right health set, and then get their financial wealth set together. But you have to have all three. You have to be, you have to know where you want to go. You have to get there in a safe way. Um, and so those are, those are the implications of, of health. Uh, if, if you're not healthy, you're not, it doesn't matter how financially well off you are, you're not going to enjoy it. So and why, is it, it then, why is it then that we love to spend money? I mean, um, what, what's the reason behind that? Isn't it like an addiction or we just can't have it's, enough? It's a dopaminergic release. So it, it's just like you took a hit of cocaine and you got a temporary buzz. And what typically happens is that we get fooled into spending money and we get fooled into things like layaway plans or not layaway plans, but, uh, but, but credit cards. We get fooled into buying purchases that make us temporarily happy because it creates a dopamine release but at the same time, they injure us financially. Um, we take on debt that's inappropriate. Uh, and a lot of people do that. And, and my goal with the people that I interact with is not to say that debt is a bad thing. Debt can be a useful thing if you're using it for the right purpose. If the debt that you're gaining is going to give you a rate of return that far exceeds the cost of the debt. Um, but what happens is the reason why we love spending is because we get a dopamine release. We, we have an anticipatory effect and it makes us feel temporarily happy. And then we look for our next dopamine release and then we look for our next dopamine release. It's interesting. Uh, and isn't it's it? the same, same pathway as addiction. As you're probably aware, the training costs involved to work within the aviation industry, depending on the uh, job that you want to follow or the dream you want to follow, whether it be a pilot, cabin crew, engineer, air traffic controller, as an example. Um, how can we educate ourselves to manage those expectations to know that we will be investing a lot of money and we may not see the financial returns? So I think that the issue is understanding the net result from a salary. And what happens is that if you're an employee, you're going to have a huge expense and that's called taxes. Yeah. I don't care how you slice it. I don't care what country you're in. Employees pay ridiculous amounts of taxes. Business owners and investment investors pay the least amount of taxes. And so if you're an employee, you can estimate, in the United States at least, between 35 to 45% of your income is going to be lost to taxation. So that's almost half of the money that you make. So even though you make a lot of money as an employee, you're going to lose half of it. 
Uh, if you made the same amount of money as a business owner, you get to keep most of it and you get to reinvest it. And that reinvestment then grows your income. So yes, uh, there is a relationship between the amount of money you make and the amount of money that you take home, but people forget the concept of taxation. That's a major one. Um, the other major issue is that the education that we're getting to have that specialized skill is really important to make us happy in that skill. But that skill may not be translatable to, to the financial world. That training is specific to do that task. And that task is, you know, flying a plane or being a doctor is not the same as owning, you know, 20 units of an apartment complex. Um, and there's a lot of disdain in, in, in the physician side for people that are in the business world. There's disdain for it. The people, they, they think that it's dirty to have money. And so they purposefully avoid doing that. Um, and so they don't get that investment. They, they don't do that educational investment to grow their financial side. I mean, should we, all, should we be sitting down with a financial advisor you know, to inform us of the expected costs of training? Yeah, I think that it's reasonable to, to look at your prospective cost of training, no matter which way you approach it, but then ask yourself this question. Is the training that you're getting, is it going to get you to financial freedom if that's what you want? And that's what I want. So I always ask myself, and I love training. I mean, trust me, I, I've got, I'm triple boarded in three different fields of medicine. And I've probably spent, uh, you know, over half a million to a million dollars in training on the medicine side. But I've also spent over three quarters of a million dollars, US dollars, training on the business side. So for me, um, I have to evaluate each in every situation where I invest my time and money and figure out how it's going to get me a return. Um, and I, I really look at it this way. I can make a ton of money, but I can't make additional time. So I use my money to buy other people's times to leverage. And so I use my money that I generate to buy skills from other people that I don't have time for myself because I can make more money, but I can never make more time. Uh, and so the, I almost feel like the loss of time uh, could be a bigger problem for me than the loss of money in the investment. It's hard for you to leverage your own time. It's easy for you to leverage your money. So you mentioned there, which, you know, you've invested nearly half a million in medical training. I mean, is there, and this is what I find really interesting. Is there any protection with that investment or is it just a case of you, you do the trading you hope you pass or is there a system within the medical field in America that there is a protection there that if it doesn't work out? Um, you know, they, you, do you know what they call the, uh, the, the doctor, the, the, the person who graduates at the bottom of their medical school? No, they still call him doctor. And so, okay. <laughs> and so, um, you know, they, even if you're at the bottom of your class, you're still going to be a physician. So you're still going to have some underlying course of where you can make some money, but obviously you're probably not going to make the most amount of money and how well you do in school doesn't really extrapolate necessarily to how much money you make. 
Um, and I really look at medical school as a passion. And I, I do about 1.5 million US of free care a year oh, wow. um, because I just enjoy it. I mean, I want to help my patients. Um, and so I don't look at the medical side of what I do as a way to make money. I developed Red Pill Capital because I wanted to generate revenue. And then that revenue allowed me to do the free care and the other things that I really wanted to passionately do. I, I separate my capital production uh, as in terms of money from my desire to, um, to take care of patients. And so I have that fortune because I've been doing this long enough. I'm 55 years old right now. Um, I've been doing some form of business since I was 14 years old. Um, and, you know, I'm 55. I went to medical school when I was 17. Oh, wow. Okay. And I got my MBA after medical school. So I, you know, for me, it's, it, it's been a passion to, to take care of patients, but I've made money along the way. And it's my discovery of, of how to manage that money and how to manage my time. And time is the most important element uh, that's really allowed me to be successful and figure out how to leverage those resources. I continue to learn every single day. I probably spend two to three hours a day just on education. Um, all morning this morning uh, from about 4 a.m. U.S. time, uh, Central Standard U.S. time, till about 7 a.m. U.S. St Central Standard time, I was educating myself on self-storage facilities and how to build and develop self-storage facilities. Um, this afternoon, I'll be educating myself at, at the end of clinic, at the end of the day, I'll be doing a course, uh, self-educating on diabetes. So I alternate uh, between the things I'm educating on, but I spend a good chunk of time educating on business um, because I think that that's, even, even at my stage, I have to constantly educate. And I think so, that's the key element. So knowledge is power. Knowledge is the only power that we have. Um, and the ability to recognize that our time is limited. And so we really have to figure out ways to enhance our time. So you and mentioned then with regards to you're the founder of Red Pill Capital. So what, what, is, what is Red Pill Capital and how, how can it help? I mean, you briefly touched on it there, but if you can expand on that. Yeah, so Red Pill Capital is an educational platform more than anything. Um, and if, if any of your listeners just reach out to me, we, we have a, a course that we normally sell, but if any of your listeners reach out to me and just say that they heard this, we'll give them the course for free. It's a $975 US course, and it's on commercial real estate investment, specifically on multifamily. And it's all of the tools and all of the, how to build a performa, how to understand the financial flow of capital inside a project, and how to identify what good projects are. Now it's US centric, it's not centric, to, to where you are. Um, so obviously your tax structures are different. Um, your acquisition structures are different. Your capital market is different, but there's cross applicability. You can use some of the same tools. Um, and you know, you don't necessarily, I, I believe that you should live where you want to live, but invest where it makes the most sense. And for me, um, I happen to live where I want to live because of my family. And I also happen to be able to invest in, a near, in the nearby area because it makes the most sense. If I was living in New York, I wouldn't invest in New York because the population is getting decimated and there's going to be a fleeing of the population from 
areas that are high tax states like New York, and they're going to leave urban areas and they're going to more rural areas because they're afraid of lockdown. Right. So um, I wouldn't invest in New York. I would invest in other places. I would invest in the South of the United States. I invest for cash flow and appreciation. And so there's tools in there um, that allow people to understand the semantics of investing. And, and, and so there's no upsell, there's no sell at all, in fact. It's just educational material. Um, my feeling is that if I can donate my time and do it once, it create an educational guideline for people, um, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll progress. There are so many amazing tools available that we don't have to spend as much money as we used to uh, to gain that information. But you're still going to find that in order to get a guide and save yourself some time, you may end up having to get a mentor. Um, we're not that mentor. We don't, we don't do that. But I provide people the fundamental understanding of how to deal with systems so that perhaps they can move forward. That's a great initiative. I think if uh, any listeners here, if you've, you've heard it here, that uh, if you get in touch, you get the course for free. So yeah. listen out. It's well worth your while. Get a bit of free education. So have you any simplistic advice for our listeners, especially within the aviation industry? I mean, I think probably the medical and the aviation is probably they're different but similar in terms of the, the investment required to to do training. But so simplify money and invest. How, how do you do that for the future? As so, simple as possible, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I actually use aviation terminology to explain to people um, what the understanding of capital markets are. So you have headwinds and you have tailwinds. If you're taking off from Berlin and you are headed to Dublin and you have a headwind, it's going to take you longer to get there. You may eventually get there, but it's going to take you longer. If you're taking off from Berlin and you're going to Dublin and you have a tailwind, you may arrive a lot sooner than you expected. Um, and you're going to burn less fuel. That's the same thing with real estate investment. If you're going to go from point A to point B and you're facing headwinds, and what are headwinds in, in real estate investment? Headwinds are loss of jobs and loss of population. If, you, if you're investing in an area that is losing jobs and losing population, it's going to take a lot longer to achieve your rate of return. It's going to take you a lot longer to get there. Whereas if you're investing in an area that is naturally growing and has a population increase and has a job increase, then you're going to have tailwinds and you're going to get there a lot quicker and burn a lot less of your capital to get there. Um, and so that's an analogy that is, is really important in the era world because it, it, it's fundamental. You can, you can build the perfect airplane. You can be mechanically perfect. But if you're facing a horrendous storm, getting, getting into a horrendous storm, it's going to take you a lot longer to get there. Probably still get there, but it's just going to take a lot longer. A bumpier um, ride, a rougher ride. Yeah. Yeah. And, and why take that chance? Why not invest in an area that you have tailwinds pushing you there and helping you get there? And so I always look at capital markets. I look at any place that I'm going to invest. I look at the property that I'm in, property type that I'm investing in. I look at the area of the property and I try to make a determination. What are the factors 
that are assisting me to get there? And what are the factors impeding me to get there? And I think that's as important as the, the subject property itself. Because the reality is, even if I buy a perfect property, a perfect location uh, property that I think is perfect, if everybody in that town is leaving, it's probably not worth much. Um, you're going to see that in places like Japan. You see that in places like Italy. You see that where places are losing population quickly and losing jobs. You saw that in places like Ireland 20 years ago yeah. when there was a huge flight of people out of Ireland and the rural towns were decimated. Um, and if there's no population, there's nobody to buy anything, then the property prices drop immediately. Uh, you're going to see that in places like New York. You're going to see that in places like Los Angeles. Uh, and where these people are leaving to, where they're going to, is places that are a little bit more rural and a little bit more south of the U.S. Um, and they're going to places like Texas and, and North Carolina and, and Florida. They're going to these other places, even though there's high COVID rates there. The population demographic is not as dense and so it's easier to it's easier to deal with that, and that's been a it's just been an acceleration of a trend that's been there for about ten years anyway. Well, that's sound advice. I mean, you've mentioned we've mentioned redpillcapital.com. For our listeners to get in contact with you, are you on any other websites or social media formats? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. It's uh, Red Pill Capital with a K K A P I T A L, um, and we're on Instagram. We're I don't really do much Facebook, but really the easiest way to reach out to me is through our site or email me info at redpillcapital with a K.com. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to answer any questions. Um, but we post a fair amount of stuff on Instagram and some of it can be um, a little thick. It can be a little dense um, just because most of the people that uh, pick up that information, um, they're looking for particular tips. And so we're, we're, we're giving them those, those pieces of information that are very specific. So if you're new to the journey, if this is something that you haven't done, I would do the course, educate yourself on the course information. And, you know, there's a whole host of people that, that teach these fields. And a lot of that information is free. Um, and then once you get to the point where you've understand the language that's when you get somebody to help mentor you through it. If, if, if you decide that this is, this is an area that you want to concentrate in. And, and I always tell people, look, the, the reality is you make a lot of money as a physician. Um, your expertise may not be in the capital markets. I've managed to develop both, both expertises because I have really bad ADD. I have attention deficit disorder, so I always want to do everything. Right. And it takes me a while to realize that I'm not good at something. Uh, but you know, I, I've managed to do a lot of stuff and it, you know, it, but that's not for everyone. So what you figure out is sometimes you partner with people and then you have to figure out who are good partners and who are bad partners. And part of the training that we have, uh, teaches you how to analyze who are good partners to work with and what are the questions you ask. And those are applicable all over the world. Um, doing background checks, doing criminal background checks, understanding people's personality, um, profiling them to see if, if they have appropriate behavioral metrics um, and how are they going to respond in an emergency situation? How are they going to respond um, when they're faced with, you know, X, Y, Z thing? Uh, 
Um, and so those, those are the kind of things that I want people to get educated about. No, it's great. I think it's wonderful. I think that's, that's the reasons why we have these podcasts to reach out to experts uh, like yourself. But uh, thank you so much uh, for chatting with me today on Aviation by Aviation Zero. Uh, Dr. Cooper Pada has mentioned. You can contact him on social media um, or you can contact by the website uh, redpillcapital.com. Thank you so much uh, today for joining me. All right, thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye.